from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Rancher reality check. Fertilizer costs are at least double what they were two years ago, but the cattle haven't gone up double. What cattle producers are facing right now in Tennessee. As the clock ticks on Congress, lawmakers once again consider the sale of E15 year-round, and this time it's different. The oil industry is supporting as well. And work to stop a nationwide railway strike that could dramatically impact the movement of ag products. I think that the grain sector um, would really have struggled uh, if, the, if the strike took place. The latest is Deadlines Loom Large, right now on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Happening right now, the countdown is on for Congress, which is facing two big deadlines. The first, prevent a nationwide rail strike and to avoid a government shutdown. But there's also a new bipartisan effort to make E15 ethanol blends available year-round. Let's get an update from Ag Day's Michelle Rook, who has the latest on number one on that list. Clinton, the House took the lead Wednesday, resoundingly passing legislation to avert a national railroad strike, which was set to happen as early as December 9th. The Railway Labor Act empowers Congress to require rail companies and unions to accept labor agreements rejected by their members. And this was critical for the agricultural industry. 30% of all U.S. cargo by weight is shipped by rail, and a shutdown in service even temporarily would seriously cripple ag product movement and hurt commodity prices, including grain. I think that the grain sector um, would really have struggled uh, if, the, if the strike took place. Um, obviously, that would have impacted basis levels here uh, in the country as, uh, as grain would back up in the system. Um, probably had the potential to shift some export sales uh, to other places in the world. The threat of a strike was already halting economic activity, including energy and fertilizer sectors. Cash grain merchandisers telling Ag Day their customers were already gearing up for it and looking at other modes of transportation, which are unfortunately also in crisis mode. All of that is going to have to shift to new places, whether that's barge or going down by trucks. It's funny, in the last few weeks, we've seen more bids for trucks going from even Minnesota all the way down to Texas, which is typically pretty rare and very expensive. It's estimated a strike would cost the U.S. economy $2 billion a day and lost gross domestic product. Now, the House has passed a separate measure to add seven days of paid leave, a key demand of the employees. Once through the Senate, the legislation must be signed by the president. All right, thanks, Michelle. Lawmakers also under pressure to reach a budget deal by Friday, December 16th. If no agreement is reached by then, another stopgap spending measure will be needed. And now there's also a new push in Congress to make E15 ethanol blends available year-round. Farm State Senators Republican Deb Fisher of Nebraska and Democrat Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota unveiling the plan. It would allow for year-round sale of E15 and other blends of ethanol higher than the traditional 10%. Now, what's different this time? The plan has the support of the oil industry, specifically the American Petroleum Institute. Reuters says API started cooperating with biofuels groups after governors in major corn-producing states requested the EPA allow for expanded sales of E15 in their states, and that raised oil industry concerns about regulations differing between the states. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa 
also throwing his support behind the bill. And I think some of it comes because, you know, there's some discretion for governors uh, to uh, issue year-round E15, and I think that's why the oil industry got involved, because they know that uh, it, several Midwestern governors are going to do exactly that. Now, it's not known if it will pass before the lame duck session in Congress ends. Last week, the Renewable Fuels Association and the American Petroleum Institute called on Congress to quickly adopt the legislation in order to bring certainty to the fuel market. And we just received our final crop progress report of the season from USDA. With corn and soybean harvest complete, attention turns to cotton, where 84% of the crop has now been harvested. That's 5% ahead of the five-year average. Winter wheat conditions, they slightly improved over last week. Now 34% is rated good to excellent. That's 2% ahead of the previous week. But cotton harvest may be delayed a bit in the Deep South after record high temperatures fired up storms that spawned tornadoes. The severe weather damaged several homes and buildings in at least three states. Two people died when a tree fell on their mobile home. Close to 30 tornado reports were made. But all the rain from that storm is helping to boost some of the very low river levels that have been plaguing all parts of the Mississippi River Basin with notable precipitation for the Ohio River Valley. Now, the Ohio River is a main tributary of the Mississippi. And it should provide a slight bump in some of these very low river levels that continue to, at times, slow barge traffic up and down the Mississippi and has also led to a pretty extensive project to help to deepen the channel, widen the channel in some areas where sandbars and rock outcroppings have imperiled barge traffic over the last couple of months. Lots of moisture for the south and now more snow for the west. Meteorologist Matt Yurisovic joins us. And Matt, hopefully this snow will help eat away at those drought conditions. That's right, Clinton. We are going to see a lot more snow in the west, helping some of those drought conditions that we've seen, at least in the long run, but have been uh, hardest hit over the last couple of months. You can still see right in the middle part of the country a lot of red very dry, extremely dry conditions there, especially for portions of Nebraska, Kansas, and Colorado areas there. We'll see some precipitation as we head over the next couple of weeks, but right now, high pressure in control. Things are dry right there in the middle of the country. Another system moving off the east coast, that's what brought in the cooler air, but if we look back out in the west, there's another system looming, and that one's starting to bring some rain and mountain snow from the Sierras to the Cascades and even the northern Rockies as well. And some of that snow going to be on the heavier side. We're going to be talking about feet of snow for parts of the Sierras as we head over the next couple of days. Take a look at this. It's going to be a couple of rounds of snow as we head through the weekend. And yes, it could top out over two or three feet of snow for some of those higher elevations. Something we'll continue to track right here on Ag Day. Yields in the Fields on Ag Day is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313. And checking those yields in the fields, we don't want to forget about sunflowers. Corey Peters of Randolph, Manitoba tells us these are black oil sunflowers. He says yields have varied quite a bit this year, but some of his better fields average 2,500 pounds per acre. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. The Netherlands' new climate policy could force up to 3,000 farms to close. 
The Telegraph newspaper reporting the Dutch government has plans to buy up the farms that are near environmentally sensitive areas. It's an effort to comply with Europe's nature preserve rules. Earlier this year, the government introduced targets to reduce nitrogen compounds by the year 2030. It's reported the government will do compulsory purchases if not enough farmers volunteer. And the country's nitrogen minister says producers will be offered a deal that is, quote, well over the worth of their farm. Now, the country's ag sector has been in crisis since a 2019 court ruling forced the government to cut nitrogen oxide and ammonia emissions. Thousands of farmers have staged protests, including blockading cities with tractors and burning hay bales along highways. All right, when we come back, soybeans resuming their climb toward $15. We have details on that next. And later in today's economy, Tennessee cattlemen and women are facing some challenges. A look at this important industry in the volunteer state in the country. And here's something you can do quick and easy today. Sign up now to enter the Case IH Holiday Giveaway. Each winner will get a Case IH prize pack. One lucky winner will be drawn each day from Monday, December 19th through Friday, December 23rd. We'll announce those winners right here on Ag Day. Then the grand prize winner will be announced on U.S. Farm Report on Christmas Eve, and they'll win a Farmall C pedal tractor. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. Corteva says it has signed an agreement to acquire one of the largest independent companies that makes biologicals in the industry. The deal is over Houston-based Stoller. Now, Stoller has operations and sales in more than 60 countries. In a news release, Corteva says the acquisition reinforces its commitment to providing farmers with biological tools that complement evolving farming practices. Stoller would be the second biologicals acquisition by Corteva this year. It recently announced it was also buying Simborg, a company with expertise in microbiological technologies. Soybean futures surged past previous resistance on the way to double-digit gains. Michelle Rook returns with Markets Now. A mostly higher day in grain and livestock futures trade except for corn on Wednesday. Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing joining us. And Brian, uh, soybeans kind of led the pack, making new highs for the move, but the strong soybean meal market pushed it. Are we putting in some Argentina weather premium there? I think you have to. When you cross over the 1st of December, you really start to focus on southern hemisphere weather. And so we're putting not only that premium in, but you're putting in record high soy meal prices in China uh, in the marketplace as well. So we're seeing the strength in the soybean meal market, perhaps on China needs, perhaps on the idea that if the Argentine farmer sells beans and beans make their way to China, that's less for Argentina, the world's largest exporter of soy meal. Uh, to crush and produce in the soy meal. So, uh, so that's a strength there, highest prices since September 22nd. Right. Do you think we get above 15? I do. You know, the market's starting to gain momentum. We're, we're post-harvest recovery here. It's not that far of a move. We're seeing some, what it looks to be this week, maybe some money come back into the marketplace right. and a weaker dollar, less, less uh, hawkish talk out of a Powell regarding interest rates. And consequently, we saw where the dollar was off yesterday and soybean prices higher. So soybeans up, but wheat was also up. And was that just end of the month short covering or what? You could argue that. And I guess I would use that as any 
reason, uh, as as good as any reason as any other. Uh, the, the wheat market got so beat up over the last right. four weeks, uh, and so it wouldn't be surprised we're seeing some short covering. But remember, the winter wheat conditions again came out; they were delayed. They came out. Um, you know, you only got 34% of the crop put to excellent. Another big chunk in port, a very right. poor category. And again, you start looking at Argentine dry weather. Um, it's tough to argue negative for wheat prices right now after this sell-off. Why was corn not able to follow soybeans and wheat? Uh, my best guess is that the traders bought the wheat thinking that a better value than corn. There really isn't any new news in corn. I think farmers selling in corn might have ticked up just a little bit. As we talked to farmers, they're getting some good basis pushes. Okay. And I think they're looking at corn and saying, you know, maybe I shouldn't get too greedy. I'm going to let some go. The, the ethanol number was off. The grind was off a little bit from last week. So there really wasn't anything friendly. I was a bit surprised, though, that with energy prices up, we still didn't see corn higher. All right. Thanks for your analysis. Brian Doherty, Total Farm Marketing. More Ag Day coming up. To discuss marketing strategies, call 800-334-9779. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Meteorologist Matt Yurisavik joining us taking a look at uh, really the temperature forecast and it looks like some places are going to be pretty chilly, but others pretty mild. Yeah, we saw a big blast of cold air over the last couple of days, and now the middle of the country is going to turn more mild before another storm system will move its way on in. And you can see the temperatures in the middle part of the country going to be starting to warm things up. Now, we were in the 30s and 40s. Now we're going to be back into the 50s in places like Amarillo and Tulsa, all the way up into Rapid City. Still chilly air across the north and back into the Pacific Northwest. That's because another system moving on in, bringing the rain and mountain snow. Now, still going to be a little bit chillier up into the northeast over the next few days. But you can see a more milder air starting to move its way on in two parts of of the south and you'll really start to see that warm up as we head through the middle part of the country here tomorrow afternoon. It's still going to be very chilly though across uh, the northern Rockies there and back into the west. Carson City only at 38. We're going to be looking at snow moving in there to the west and heavy snow for the higher elevations there in the Sierras. High pressure in control of the east. Still going to be a little breezy off into the uh, northeast as we head through uh, Thursday evening, but you can see the snow there, northern Rockies, and then some rain and mountain snow moving into parts of California. Now, that's the first system that's going to be moving its way on through, and you'll see those scattered snow showers continue to move towards the center part of the country. The first low gets on out of here, and the second one is going to be bringing another burst of snow towards the weekend to the west. And here's a look at that snow. There's the first round, and then the second round comes in from the north, and that's going to spread some more snow, especially into uh, parts of the Sierras, where we could be looking at upwards of three or four feet plus of snow in the higher elevations there. So something we haven't seen in quite a while, we may see over the next couple of days. And you can see precipitation wise over the next 10 days, it's gonna be pretty active, especially in the West where we are gonna be looking at, uh, again, something that we haven't seen in quite a while, rain in the West. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at the weather where you live. Wakefield, Virginia, sunny and cooler, a high near 49 degrees. Heading towards Lawrence, Kansas, mostly sunny and windy, a high near 49. And Truckee, California, heavy snow likely, a high of 32.
Packers last week were left with their largest negative margins in nearly six years. The Sterling Beef Profit Tracker reporting average cattle feeding margins were estimated at $165 per head. Now that's up $41 a head from the previous week, but beef packer margins were estimated at a $28 per head loss. That's the largest loss since January of 2017. Packer profits a year ago were $488 per head. Drovers reports the costs associated with finishing cattle have increased dramatically since April. And there are signs that beef cow slaughter may be slowing down. Darrell Peel of Oklahoma State University says the latest weekly numbers show slaughter was up 2.7% year over year. He says that's only the second week this year it was up less than 3%. Peel says at Oklahoma auctions, the weekly volume of cold cows was double last year from July through early November, but has declined in the past two weeks. He adds it seems likely many producers have adjusted herd inventories given current hay and feed supplies to be able to get through the winter despite those drought conditions. Year to date, beef cow slaughter is up more than 12% year over year. Raising cattle is a big part of the Tennessee farm economy. Up next, a trip to the pastures of the volunteer state and a look at why some producers are having a tough time in the country. Beef cattle farming remains Tennessee's top agricultural commodity with 45,000 farms and 2 million animals. But as Charles Denny of the University of Tennessee's Institute of Agriculture reports, some producers are facing financial hardships raising their herds in the current economy. Roger Brooks raises cattle from birth to 900 pounds on his Hawkins County farm, but here recently his costs to produce beef are way up. A lot more costly because we soil test and we try to fertilize in accordance with the soil test. So fertilizer costs are at least double what they were two years ago, but the cattle haven't gone up no. Pretty much the same situation for Chris Williams in Carter County. You know, a lot, a lot of the producers that I talked to didn't fertilize. I did, and uh, but certainly that's uh, affects the bottom line. Both Williams and Brooks are hoping to see lower beef production input costs soon a main topic of discussion at the recent Northeast Tennessee Beef Expo held at the UT Ag Research Center in Greenville. Beef farmers see increased expenses when it comes to cattle nutrition, growing forages with costly seed, and even diesel fuel to do pasture management. Other issues here, herd health, genetics, reproduction, and marketing strategies. So today we hope that our producers really see that science-based research that is produced right here at the research center and now we're operating our educational arm through extension and we hope that those producers are able to pick up a few nuggets to improve their operation, maybe reduce production costs. UT Extension's Master Beef Producer Program has now been around since 2004. In 2020, the total economic impact of the program was estimated to be $22 million and 3,000 producers were certified. Recently, the Master Beef Program was recognized by the National Institute of Food and Agriculture with its Partnership Award for Efficient Use of Resources. Extension leaders say the program works to produce excellent outcomes for farmers. Farmers and UTIA experts say beef cattle farming is a vital part of the economy for this region of the state and everywhere in Tennessee for that matter. When it comes to their expenses, they can only work 
to be more efficient. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right. Thanks, Charles. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. Well, all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day. I'm the Farm Country.